0: Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for giving us your word, which expresses your heart and your truth. And we pray now that as we dive into it, you will give us hearts that are receptive to what you would teach us. Pray by your spirit, you would call forth worship and obedience and faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open to the book of First Corinthians in the New Testament, as we continue our journey through this book with the goal of learning to avoid a trap, a trap we're calling do-it-yourself spirituality. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs. That sums up really beautifully the true pathway of spiritual life, spiritual health. And it goes like this Proverbs 3 5 trust in the Lord. Trust in the one true God with all your heart and on your own understanding. Do not lean. Do not rely. Now that Jesus has come, this is what we celebrated last weekend, that he gave his life, that we might have life, that we might be washed of all of our sin and be pure in his sight and and experience life with God. Now that he has come and done that and risen from the dead, um, life is Learning to rely, learning to trust in him and his wisdom, what he has told us is good and right. Um, But the Corinthians had fallen into this trap of doing essentially the opposite. They were relying on their own understanding, their own decisions about what is good and what is right. They were deciding that for themselves, and that was causing all kinds of serious problems in their church. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to them to get them back on track, trusting the Lord with all their hearts. And in chapter 8 here, we're going to encounter yet another example of how the Corinthians had basically gone rogue and were relying on their wisdom instead of on Jesus and his wisdom. This time, the issue involved going to the local Greek and Roman temples and uh, eating food that was sacrificed to the Roman and Greek gods. Um, This, In in a place like Corinth, this was just a common, ordinary social experience. This was just part of life. Um, Corinth had many temples devoted to many different gods, and people would go there to celebrate all kinds of social events. In fact, we have, uh, remaining from those days, we actually have examples of invitations. You divide all your friends, say, hey, meet us at the temple of, you know, so-and-so, and we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate somebody's birthday or anniversary or a coming-of-age party or something. And so the temple priests would offer sacrifices to whatever God, and Then they would uh, cook the meat on the altar, and then everybody would take a share and, and eat it with their dinner guests. That was just the social thing to do. So those temples functioned a lot like a restaurant, very much so, but with a very critical difference. Today, when you go to a restaurant, there's nothing particularly religious about it unless you know, someone in your group leads in prayer you know, before eating. But restaurants are basically secular places, and that seems totally normal to us. But that's not how it was in Corinth at all. There was no division between secular and sacred in these temples. They were religious. And so to eat at a temple was literally to join in the worship of whatever God was being sacrificed to. And so that's why when people became followers of Jesus, when they responded to the good news about Jesus, they stopped going to these temples to eat the food sacrificed to idols because even though there was a lot of social pressure to keep doing that, but it's like, no, this this doesn't fit with following Jesus. This is actually one of the key important decisions that the early Christians came to, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 15. This is as the gospel, as the good news about Jesus began to spread beyond that initial Jewish culture, because Jewish people wouldn't go to those pagan temples. That, that just wasn't part of their life. But as the gospel spread out into Gentile and pagan territory, it became an issue, along with several other issues that are talked about there in Acts 15. But the churches came to the conclusion, you know, the, the apostles that Jesus had chosen to take his message, and, and all those early Christians' representatives came together, and they talked about the issue, and they concluded very unanimously that, no, going to the temples to eat food sacrificed to idols was a bad idea because following Jesus and worshiping idols don't mix. They just don't mix. So pretty much everybody agreed with that, except the Corinthians. Big surprise. They, they had a better idea, they thought even though that's what Paul had taught them, even though that's what everybody else was doing, they apparently wrote to Paul, and we know that they wrote him at least one letter because he talks about it. They told Paul, essentially they thought this rule against going to the temples and eating food sacrificed, they thought it was just silly. That's a silly rule. Come on, Paul. We know better could have been a slogan a banner at their church we know better we know better than everybody we know that idols aren't real they're not real there's only one real God we know that so what is the harm in eating food sacrificed to some so-called God that doesn't even exist there's no need to ruin our social lives because of some superstitious belief. What is the harm? You know, This God isn't even real. Paul, you're the one who taught us the truth about God. So we're going to act on what we know to be true. And we're going to exercise our right to eat anywhere we want. No false God is going to keep us from going out to eat. Something like that. And here in chapter 8, we have Paul's response. And here's what I want you to notice as we read this. Notice that Paul completely agrees with their theology, with what they know to be true about God. But he disagrees completely with their application of what they know to be true about God. And that... That is a vital lesson for us here about the role of what we know to be true, how we are to live that out. What is the role of knowledge in following Jesus? Okay, so Acts chapter, Acts, 1 Corinthians, we'll get to Acts in a second, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 8, beginning verse 1, Paul says, now concerning food offered to idols, We know that all of us possess knowledge. That's probably a quote from them. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus the Messiah, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, or literally, this knowledge isn't in all, and the idea probably isn't that there are people who don't, don't know this in the church. They probably have heard it, but this truth has not really taken hold. It hasn't gotten deeply rooted in their hearts. Going on. But some, through former association or accustomed to, to idols, former association with idols, They eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do. That is, the food itself is irrelevant. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge Here's the big lesson. When it comes to learning truth about God, about ourselves, about the world we live in, when it comes to gaining knowledge about these profound realities, we have to remember this. The goal of learning is not knowing the goal of learning is loving so we're taking in the truth profound truth of god the goal of learning that truth is not simply knowing the truth it is loving or to say it another way knowing the truth is not meant simply to make us smarter It's meant to make us better, better lovers of God, better lovers of people. We're going to see the same lesson when we get to chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 2. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. That's strong. So we want to make sure we get this. So here, put it into a question. How do you know how well you're doing at learning God's truth? What is it that shows that you're learning well the truths of God's word? Is it how many facts about God you can explain How many truths of theology you can articulate? Is it how many Bible verses you can quote? No. How much you are learning is shown by how much you are growing in loving God and loving others. That's what shows we're getting the truth. Now, before I go any further, let me Make an important clarification real quick. want to make sure you don't misunderstand. The lesson is not that learning is unimportant. Okay? As if the less you know, or the more ignorant you are, the more loving you will be. No. No, 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 no. No, the Bible is very clear that we need to know God's truth to live the way he wants us to. Jesus said this in John 18, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world. Those are big words. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And he said this, If you abide in my word, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's no, you know, virtue and ignorance. It's not that ignorance is bliss, and it's not that that knowledge is optional. Far from it. The point is, knowledge isn't enough. It's not enough. Let's say something's wrong with your car. That happens. Your car's making funny noises. It's not running right, so what do you do? You take it to the shop? What do you want the mechanic to do? You want him to just figure out what's wrong and tell you? No. I mean, you want him to do that, but what you really want him to do is fix the car. The goal is not information. The goal is restoration, and that's true in all of life. It's not enough just to know the truth. We have to apply the truth. And the most important application of truth is what? Love. Jesus told us that. The great commandments. Love God. Love people. But you do need to know the truth in order to love well. I mean, think about it. Love God. Okay? What does that mean? Who are we talking about? Who is God? And what does loving Him look like? You have to know the truth to do that. Or love others. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means to pursue their best interest. What's in their best interest? Well, how do I know what that is? I need to know. I need truth to do that. So knowing truth is necessary is just not enough and we can see why it's not enough right here. It's not enough, for one thing, because just knowing leads to arrogance. Just knowing leads to arrogance. <laughs> Verse 1 says that knowledge puffs up. I love that picture. I think of one of those frogs with the throat that just goes, you know, puffing up. You can almost picture someone just taking in those profound truths, about God, you can just kind of see their head inflating and their chest inflating. And they look around at the poor souls who don't yet know these amazing things that they know and they just, how pathetic. And Paul just kind of like whips out a needle and pops that balloon and then he says, if anybody imagines he knows something, in this sense, anybody thinks he's got it all figured out anybody who thinks you know he has arrived at knowledge he does not yet know as he ought to know if you're all impressed with how much you know you still have a lot to learn because the more you know you know the more you know you don't know did you get that The more you know, you know. The more you know, you don't know. And that's true even if what you do know are big and profound truths about God. Who He is. What He's like. We see that right here in verses 4 and 5. The Corinthians knew big truth about God, deep truth about God. They knew there's no God but one. They knew that though there are many so-called gods and lords in this world, there is one God, the Father. Wow, what a profound truth that is. Jesus told us to call him Father. From whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus the Messiah, through whom are all things. And through whom we exist. Those are such glorious truths. I encourage you to take some time later. And just think about those things. Think about it. And it's good. It's good to know these things. It's good to be able to articulate those truths. If, if knowing and being able to articulate those truths leads you to worship leads you to know God more deeply and love Him more fully. If knowing truth leads you to help other people know Him and trust Him and obey Him. But if you're content just to feel good about what you know and how you can explain to other people how wrong they are and how right you are, Honestly, that's really not any better than being totally ignorant. Because just knowing is more hurtful than helpful. Just knowing hurts more than it helps. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That means... Love seeks to genuinely build up, help, benefit somebody else. But see, if you just settle for knowing truth, you won't do that. You won't do that. (laughs) That's why just knowing truth isn't really any better than being totally ignorant. See, if you're ignorant, if you're ignorant, you won't know what's really helpful. But if you're arrogant, you won't care. You won't care. If you're just content to know things and feel good about how much you know, you don't really care what's helpful to others. And see, this was happening with the Corinthians. They were so focused on what they knew to be true. So focused, so convinced that they had the right to eat in the temples because of what they knew. So convinced they were hurting other believers in Jesus and were completely oblivious to it. They didn't even see it. Verses 7 through 11 talk about other believers who didn't have the same grasp on this truth that idols aren't real because of their previous involvement with idol worship. That was such a big part of their lives before they became Christians that they just couldn't go into pagan temples and not somehow get sucked back into that life of idolatry. That's just that's where they lived for so long. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe, technically speaking, it's true, the idols aren't real, but boy, they sure felt real to these people. This was way too real. Have you ever known anything to be true in your head, but you just couldn't get your heart to believe it, really? So, when those who were convinced it was okay to go to the temples encouraged others who weren't convinced to follow their example anyway and do something their conscience was not okay with, they were hurting them. And the language is really strong here. It's kind of striking. Verse 7, their conscience being weak is defiled. Verse 9, take care that this right of yours does not become a stumbling block to the weak. You know what that's a picture of, stumbling block? What that means, being a stumbling block, is basically leading someone else into sin. How bad is that? Well, verse 11, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. Paul's saying, okay, here's this person who has escaped the bondage, the darkness, the slavery of worshiping false gods, and you led them right back to it. And you literally ruined them. You're so caught up in knowing the truth, you forgot what truth is for. The closest comparison I could come up with would be this two guys, two buddies, Joe and Frank, completely different backgrounds. And Joe knows. He knows. The consuming alcohol is not inherently sinful because the Bible doesn't teach that. He knows that. But Fred, or did I say Frank? 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 Yeah. Frank! <laughs> Frank has a history of alcohol addiction. And he, he struggled with that his whole life. And then he came to know Christ, and he was finally able to get sober. But then Joe comes up to him and says, Come on, Frank, let's go have a drink. And he, and he takes him to the same bar where, where Frank used to get drunk all the time. And he says, come on, you have the right to do this. The Bible doesn't teach drinking's a sin. You can have a drink. Come on, let's go celebrate our freedom in Christ. That would be the dumbest, most unloving thing Joe could do for his friend, his brother in Christ. Encouraging somebody to do something contrary to their conscience in the name of knowledge, in the name of freedom, in the name of our rights to do something. That is hurtful, not helpful. And worst of all, just knowing will not keep you from sin just knowing the truth if you're content to stop at just knowing the truth that will not keep you from sinning i think the scariest verse in this whole chapter is verse 12. thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak you sin against christ look at that if you sin against a fellow member of god's family if you do something that encourages them to sin, or you mistreat a fellow believer in some way, you're not just sinning against them, you're sinning against Jesus. It reminds me of what uh, Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus. If you know the story, that's, that's where Paul first encountered the risen Christ, and that's how he came to know him. And at the time, Paul was not a believer. That's putting it mildly. He was actually an anti-believer. He hated Christians. He's just convinced. They're all just a bunch of liars, a bunch of deceivers, leading people away from the truth. And so he did all he could to oppose them. Acts 8.3. Saul, that's what he used to be called. Saul began to destroy the church, the people. It's not the building. It's the people. Going from house to house, He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Acts 9.1. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He actually stood by and gave his approval when a mob murdered a believer named Stephen. And then Jesus appeared to him and he said this. Listen carefully to what Jesus said. Saul, Saul why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting them? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? That is amazing. That is amazing. And it's incredibly comforting to know that Jesus identifies so closely with his people that he regards their suffering as his suffering. But it's also incredibly sobering, you know, because what that means is if you mess with one of his people, you're messing with him. And here's the thing: just knowing the truth won't keep you from doing that. In fact, I would hazard to say it'll make it more likely that you will do that. Because you'll know so much you'll know what's wrong with everybody. You'll know what's wrong with them. And you'll gossip about them. You'll criticize them. You will not really help them. You won't care. You won't pray for them. You'll just criticize. You'll feel superior. Just knowing the truth won't keep us from sin Knowing the truth isn't enough. We've got to apply the truth, which means we've got to love. And that doesn't mean when we love a brother or sister in Christ that we only ever say, you know, happy things, because there's times when sharing the truth in love sometimes means sharing difficult things. But the goal is always help, 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 not criticize, 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 gossip, gossip, gossip. Feel superior because I know so much. So, how's it going with your knowing? How's it going with your knowing? Let me give you a couple of questions to help you decide how it's going with your knowing. First, when you study the Bible, are you more interested in learning things or in applying what you learn? You know what the goal of Bible study is? It's not Bible knowledge. That is not the goal. The goal is not Bible information. It's Bible application. That's got to always be the goal. Second question, are you more concerned with your rights or with others' needs? Let me put it this way. Do you tend to insist or even just think about your right to do what you want to do regardless of how it affects others, regardless of what it costs others, or do you embrace your responsibility to do what benefits others regardless of what it costs you? And I actually came up with another question, but it's not on the overhead because I didn't think of it in time. How is your example influencing other people, especially your fellow believers in Christ? In other words, does your example, by the way you're living, is that helping other people around you know better who God is, who Jesus is, and, and pointing them to him? Or is your influence, your example, one of just, I don't know, Not making a difference or actually leading people astray? These are very convicting questions, but so important. I mean, look at what Paul says there at the end of the passage. It says, if if the way I eat, if what I eat causes someone else to sin, then I, I won't eat that. I won't eat it again. Say, well, that sounds like a huge sacrifice. You know, Jesus taught us not to think like that. He said, Whatever you give up in following me, I will more than make up when you do it as an act of trusting me and loving others. There's no sacrifice in following Jesus. Whatever feels like a sacrifice, believe me, 10,000 years from now, you won't see it that way. Let's take a minute and pray. So as you just kind of ponder those questions, as I even as I do, Lord, we just ask you to help us live a life of love, of loving you, and of loving others. Lord, thank you for all the truth you've given us. Help us, help us respond to it. Help us not simply believe it, but help us embrace it and live it. And Lord, make us make our lives that which really builds up others. Help us do that, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.